Hey guys, welcome. We're your hosts, Hayley Young and Amy Keeble. Our heart is to encourage you, add joy to your life and be a small reminder that you're not in this crazy motherhood journey alone. We have each other and most importantly, we have God every moment, every day. This is our village. Hi Hayley, how are you? I'm good, Amy. How are you? I'm pretty good. I feel a bit tired. We went away for the weekend to Blair's mom's house in Wodonga, which is really nice because we get to, you know, switch off, be somewhere new, see family. But I always come back from weekends like that, just really exhausted. And then you dive right into the week and it's, it's big. <laughs> so no, it I don't have any energy. Though. You've got yeah. to pack up everything to go. You've yeah. spent a few hours getting there. Then you have your weekend and then you come back and you have to recover, unpack all of that. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. And actually this time around the drive was really bad because we went on Friday afternoon and it was raining so hard and it was just disgusting that I was really anxious in the car. Like I couldn't, it could be swapped because Blair is really tired. I drove for a little while. I couldn't see the lanes for parts of it and there's these massive trucks and everything so it was actually quite an exhausting drive like it's normally quite straightforward it's just a freeway Mm -hmm. and you go down it for three hours but this time around it was it was you had to do like a lot of attention and yeah so it was full on and you're right yeah and the kids they slept really well the first two nights like really well and then last night I went to bed and I was like this is so nice they've just they have slept they've gone (laughs) to bed straight away and they've slept through the whole night and last night was so bad. Everyone except for Hunter. Hunt, Charlie and Elodie were up so many times, switching beds. Ellie was in mm. our bed, rolling around. Blair ended up sleeping in Hunter's room. Uh, it was just so bad. How many bedrooms are you spread out between? Two, yeah. So Two. there's not tons of space. So Ellie's yeah. in with us mostly when we're there anyway. And um, the boys will be in their own room. But for some reason last night... Charlie was upset, so he wanted to be in our room, and then Ellie didn't want to be in her bed because she could hear noise, and it's a whole thing. So, yes, it was exhausting. I don't know if I should say this to you. Please do. My kids have slept in the last two days. That's so good. What have I I done? I've been trying to, like, reevaluate the day to see what it's been and nothing. So I'm really interested to see what tomorrow will bring because I'm Mm. like, did we have a nap? Did we not have a nap? We yeah, I was like, mm-hmm. what's going on? What time are they sleeping till? Uh, so Saturday night, I must say, Parker woke up in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why, but he appeared to be in some kind of pain, but mm. couldn't tell me. And that was unusual. And then he slept until 8 o'clock and Will and oh, I were still sleeping so at 8. And he's been waking up at 5.45 like for yeah. the last month. So I'm like, yeah. What the heck? Oh, that's so good. <laughs> it was amazing. And then this morning it was maybe quarter past seven. So wow. even that, like, for feels like a sleep in for sure. Yeah. Huge sleep in. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, hopefully that continues for you because yes. that would be amazing. And to anyone else that needs a little bit of extra sleep. Yes. It's really <laughs> a game changer, isn't it? It's just, mm-hmm. I think I underestimate how much sleep impacts mm-hmm. me like emotionally, physically, all of it. But it really does. It's a huge oh. thing. They use it as a torture tactic. Literally. Sleep deprivation. Yeah, I know. 
Actually, I had Will at the osteo last week and she was saying, just make sure you're look at, looking after yourself. I'm like, oh, mm. yeah. And she's like, often like at about three months because Will was three months old on mm. the weekend, mm-hmm. um, she said the adrenaline from having a newborn starts to wear off a bit. Um, oh. Sleep you're, like sleep is still interrupted. You're about to go through possibly a four-month sleep regression. Mm-hmm. She's like, you need to make sure you're resting, doing something each day that fills your tank, eating well, drinking lots of water. And she said this is often when tiredness really hits mums. And mm. last week for the first time I felt quite tired, like since having wow. Will. There was yeah. one day where I needed two coffees because I only ever drink one coffee. Mm. And, like, that's a sign to me that I really wanted it yep. and needed it and um, I thought that's really interesting I haven't heard that before I'm no, sure I hadn't others either. have but it's like hmm I heard the three mark three month mark for me has been when fog has lifted in my mind and I feel mm. much more capable but I think what you're saying when what she said is really to... yeah exactly and it's like I but then on the flip side of that that whole like newness of everything the adrenaline all that sort of stuff and also even on a practical level help and people's awareness of Mm, like help mm -hmm. that you might need kind of does dry up around that time so it makes sense that you know partners are often settled back in their work and everything's kind of back to normal I suppose makes sense that that can also be an exhausting time that's Mm. fascinating I'd never heard that before yeah so we gotta be um show ourselves some grace we do yeah we really do and I just have one story to share quickly. Mm. Um, I'm looking at my lounge room that is covered in kinetics tiles because mm-hmm. I won an Instagram competition yes, the other week right. and I always think no one's going to, like <laughs> I'm never going to win these. And yeah. 77,000 entries and won all these kinetics tiles and Amazing. we already love them. So it was like more on top of what we had, but I was actually looking at getting some more a few weeks ago, but mm. Ben and I were like, no, we'll wait a bit longer only because Packer was using them all and then were asking for more to keep building. Yep. Yep. But it's been epic. Ben That's has so been cool. building every night. <laughs> Parker has been building every day. But awesome. if you see a competition you like, now Go my motto it. is enter yep. it. Yeah, my sister-in-law does has that motto too and she enters everything that she sees that she likes and she has won so many times because really? she enters all the yeah. time. And she, we just have this little agreement. There's like... Within our family, they, these are the people you can tag whenever you yeah. want, and we're never going to be annoyed. I've won a, I've won a um, giveaway once. It wasn't, you know, anything I've used, but it was awesome <laughs> that I won. So yeah, yeah. good, good um, reminder: enter things you see because some most of the time they're legit. And how mm-hmm. cool that you won that! That's amazing. So what did cool. you actually win? What was the prize? It was. About oh, just over five hundred dollars worth of these kinetic wow. tiles or kinetics. So they're magnetic tiles yep. that you can build things with. Um, yep. like as a kid's toy, but mm-hmm. they're so cool. So yeah, three new packs to add on to the ones that awesome. we got Parker for his birthday, and one of the kits is a ball run kit. And mm-hmm. I said to Ben, "What if we keep that um, for a Christmas present or his birthday present? Because it's beyond his." Um, ability Age, to yeah. do like independent play with it and yeah. Ben's like no that's what I'm excited about <laughs> oh that's, and a, that's a what sign Ben of a good played with gift. him every night with <laughs> that's so good when the dads get involved that's amazing yeah. <laughs> oh, that's I should so actually cool. put up a video of um, him and his brother yes. Ben and his you brother should. playing with it over the weekend it's <laughs> like whenever Blair tries to build things. build blocks with the boys yes because 
the I, I seriously think parents get like almost more competitive with those things half the time because uh-huh. when you get in it it's like actually really fun yeah. I actually added this to a post I did the other day but Ben like gets so defeated when Packer knocks over his creation with his <laughs> tiles or when yes. it just falls over he just yeah. hates it but Packer just doesn't mind because we've been like oh you just build again don't worry buddy yeah. so now he's like build again <laughs> Ben, what the other day, Parker knocked his over and Ben was like, so waited till Parker had built something and then it was like, whoopsie, and knocked over Parker's and Parker's like, "Uh -uh, and Ben's like, what the heck? He doesn't even care. That's so funny. Patience, patience. Yeah, Yeah. parents can definitely get into it more than the kids. Mm -hmm. And it's a good lesson and challenge for Mm -hmm. us as well. Yeah. Yes. I love that so much. (laughs) Definitely share the videos of them building. That would be so good. I will. (laughs) In this week's episode, we have Abigail Burton joining us. Amy and I both went to church with her back when we were all at Diamond Valley Baptist. And Abby is sharing with us today about the life of her son, Matthew, who Mm -hmm. was born with a very rare condition. And she shares with us about uh, the time it took to find out Mm -hmm. what was going on with him and then also of his passing. So a warning um, to those listening that it is a big episode and Mm -hmm. she does share very rawly and vulnerably about his journey but also, of course, shares about how God moved through that and how she now has had the honour and privilege to help other families and parents Mm. that are going through similar situations. We hope this story is a reminder that you're never alone no matter what you're going through. Today we have Abigail Burton joining us and we feel really privileged and honoured that she's with us today. Um, She's going to share about her motherhood journey and she's not only a mum, she is in the Army Reserves, she's a businesswoman, Mm. um, she's done a lot in her life but she'll be sharing um, in particular about her son Matthew and about his life and losing him um, mm. as a young child. So um, this is a trigger warning for those that um, may be sensitive to this. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us, Abby. It's an honour to have you with us. Thanks for having me. So would you mind starting just by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background and your family? Mm. Yeah, so born and raised in Melbourne, just moved around the suburbs a bit, moved out to Wallen for a while. Mm-hmm. Um uh, met my husband at um, at the Army Reserve and um, had children a few years after that. So I have Shane, who's now nine, and Mackenzie, who is now five, mm-hmm. um, and Matthew, who was uh, five years old when he passed away in 2019. Yeah, so I did Army Reserve. I ran a bookkeeping practice until Matthew was a couple of years old. Um, I sold that bookkeeping practice to work completely online. Um, while I was caring for Matthew and since he passed away, I've really ramped that up and part of that has been building community and stuff like that. But yeah, so raised in a church, not officially part of one at the moment, I think, but, um, that's just been because of Maddie and current events. So once I was ready to go back to church, there wasn't a church to go back to. (laughs) I think a lot of people are probably feeling a little bit churchless at this stage. It's kind of a strange year for that. Um, live stream was pretty good for us though. So convenient <laughs> for families. So convenient. Any time of the weekend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did that for a while. And 
yeah, so we live in still living close to the city in Melbourne. Um, my two kids are at school, um, mm. which is a whole new like whole new world. mum season. So that's yeah. going to be yes. um, or is interesting. And I'm yeah. excited about that. So yeah, between COVID, of course. <laughs> so when when yes. school is on. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I can hear Ben outside showing a friend his drone that he's lending him. And I'm like, I'm sure the microphone can hear it. Yeah, I can just hear this buzzing. Well, my kids are screaming in the background. So I think <laughs> I think we're all just real lifing it right now. And that's totally fine. Oh, good. Because I like Mackenzie. I had an interview once where my son sat here and popped his head in and out of the screen for the entire interview. It's, it's like, what can you do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why would why must we pretend it doesn't happen like that anyway? So. I think it's, it's true. totally fine. True. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Abby, can you share with us about your son, Matthew, when you found mm-hmm. out he had special needs and your journey to follow? Yeah. Um, I got really good at telling this story because um, at the children's hospital, I was known for giving really good medical histories. Oh. <laughs> they would send doctors studying to be paediatricians to me because they're like, she's really good at telling history. Go oh. see her. So you just had to repeat it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, but actually started when Maddie was, I was about 22 weeks pregnant with Matthew. This journey mm-hmm. started um, because he... You know, you go for your 20-week scan and, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't think anything of it. They made me, like, go to the toilet and come back and, you know, because he was being difficult mm-hmm. to scan and <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I didn't really think anything of it, um, mm-hmm. but we were there for a while. She did mention something, but I, you know, I was pretty dismissive because I knew that she, one, they don't say anything, you know, they don't say mm. anything mm. and to, you know, how much she knew about babies. I don't know, you know, like, so I was just yeah, like, yeah, exactly. register any of that. And, but then we went into uh, Kilmore District Hospital, so tiny little hospital, 10 minutes from where I was living. And we were waiting in the clinic and it was the weird, like, there was some weird vibe. Mm. Like the midwives kept kind of coming out and being like, oh, the doctor will be with you soon. And I was like, like, aren't you supposed to wait hours and hours for your appointment? Like, what, yeah. what do you mean? Why are you, why are you talking to me? Like, mm. they saw every other patient in the clinic before they saw me. Oh, there was wow. no one else there when we went in for our appointment. And it was so it was just a weird vibe because we, my husband and I, who, who just happened to decide at last second that he was going to come to the appointment, um, had no idea that there was anything wrong. Mm. And that is, that's one thing where um, that 20-week scan is actually called an abnormality scan. But that's not something you register or realise no. until a moment like this, right? That's what they're looking for. So anyway, we walked in and the first thing the doctor says to us is, so you know about the abnormalities then? <laughs> oh, my gosh. What a lack uh, of communication that is. Yeah. Goodness so me. I don't know whether he thought that the radiologist had told us her concerns wow. or somehow between our scan and that appointment someone had told us, mm. but we were completely in the dark. Mm. So um, he proceeded to tell us that they thought he had trinomy 13 or 18, um, which is like Down syndrome, that's a trinomy, mm-hmm. um, but on chromosome 13 and chromosome or chromosome 18 because they're similar conditions. Um, which is not compatible with life. So 
you know, in the first like three, you know, a minute of being in this appointment, Keep we great. get this like hugely dumped in our laps. Um, and I think I cried for like the next 24 hours. Mm. <laughs> like my husband went back to work, but he called my mum to come, you know, sit with me while he went to work and like whatever else. So that was the beginning of the journey. But like he got us into a specialist the next day. She saw us. And you know when that happens, like <laughs> stuff's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, she saw us the next day. But she ended up saying, actually, I'd like to get you in to the Mercy Hospital to use their ultrasound there. It's much better quality. Um, we'll redo all this stuff. But um, today here I can actually only see that um, this baby has club feet, which is a completely treatable condition. I can't actually see anything else that they're talking about in the report. Oh, my word. So we've gone from, like, not compatible to life to club foot, which is a completely treatable condition. Oh, my word. In the, you know, in the space of, like, 24 hours or something. Mm. And then so we went through and like the first scan, I didn't even find out that Matthew was a boy because, you know, I they didn't say anything. I had no reason to be like, you know, any different to I didn't find out with any of them. Um, so when I went in and that specialist, I said the first question we had is, well, if we're going to do this, can you please tell us? We said if we're going to spend this pregnancy preparing for a funeral, we would like to know the sex of the baby. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing she told us. It's a boy. So, um yeah, and then so like come Monday, Tuesday next week, we have a big ultrasound. We have a sonologist, obstetrician, gynecologist lady <laughs> who has, you know, obviously multiple degrees and who goes, um, this report is a bit odd. I don't like it. I'm going to pretend that I've never seen it and I'm going to do your 20-week ultrasound again and see what I find. And so at the end of that appointment we saw a geneticist and whatever and they said, we can only find that this baby has club feet. We think otherwise this baby's totally fine. And um, you've got no genetic history, so we have no reason to think that there's any reason to take any invasive tests or anything like that because we don't see anything else that's actually flagging that there's an issue. Wow. Um, but you can imagine things are not emotionally just smooth sailing after you're going through that. Not no. at all. So we had six weekly scans the rest of the pregnancy. I moved from Kilmore District Hospital to the Northern Hospital for my care, Um, although we realised at some point, like a few weeks before it was due, that nobody actually officially did that, so I wasn't actually on their system. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my word. But, you know, we fixed that. And, um, yeah, so six weekly scans, never found anything else. He's growing well. He's a good size. Everything else is normal. He's doing everything he should be very active. Matthew was super active um, in, um, in in the uterus. I had gastro the weekend he was due. Oh, Yay. my gosh, Abby. <laughs> um, so that, like, started cramping and whatever else. And I was ringing to me, what do I do? She's like, well, if you're not in labour, don't come here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and then the following week, so he was a week overdue, um, He was born and we went into the hospital and everything kind of went fine. He, um, he was out one and a half pushes. (laughs) Um, and then, um, uh, they handed him to me, you know, put him on my chest and then the doctor or the midwife, I can't even remember, just, um, grabbed out a stethoscope and looked at him and took him away. And they took him away and they called a code 
So he had to be resuscitated mm. um, after that. And it was like a really short window, but they did, yeah, they worked on him for, you know, 30 seconds or so. Like the paediatrician only just made it in the room and he'd, mm -hmm. I don't know, come back to himself again and everything seemed fine. Having said that, I had, I went in twice to give birth to him and they'd sent me home on painkillers and sleeping tablets. So when I came back in between contractions, I was actually asleep. Wow. So I was mostly unaware of... I don't know what he looked like when he came out. I just remember him being handed to me. Mm -hmm. um, but my support people tell me that he was the bluest baby they've ever seen. Oh, my goodness. So, But I have no recollection mm. of that. Um, so, yeah, and then they're like, oh, that happens sometimes. And then you just move on. Like, you know, go back to your room, go back to your ward. Like, and a few of these different things happened. He ended up six hours later. He was born with club feet. So six hours later, physio comes up um, to do an assessment on how severe his club feet are. She gave him sucrose, was like a sugar um, mm. substance, which they use for painkillers and babies under six weeks. Um, and he was laying on the bed with his sucrose in his mouth. He actually started um, turning blue again because he couldn't swallow it. Mm. Like you could literally, I could see it in the back of his throat. Like it was just sitting there and it obviously closed over mm -hmm. his airway. Um, and the paediatrician had wandered in again, but he'd wandered in because he wanted to see what the club foot assessment looked like. Like he was there purely out of curiosity wow. and he scooped Matthew up, um, shoved a huge adult-sized suction catheter down his nose because there was nothing else in the room. Midwives like fully panicked. Um, I had my husband's cousin's little kids were there to visit. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so they hollered to me like ushered out of the room. And again, they went, okay, well, that sometimes happens. So he went back to normal. Sometimes babies, when they're born, they have too much mucus, they can't handle it. They just, you know, these things sometimes happen. They'll probably be fine. A few hours later, a pediatrician came back. He's like, just in case, let's leave him in special care overnight just to make sure so that someone's watching him, like, all the time. He ended up having five or six of these episodes where he turned blue. Like one day I was sitting in special care and I had him in my hand and I tipped him on his side because I was going to try and feed him. And he like that motion, he like started like choking and not be able to breathe. And like, but it was the same thing. We got discharged out of special care. Like, oh, we sent off some bloods for genetics. We don't think it's anything. Sometimes babies do this. Um you know, it's just mucus. We'll kind of, you know, they grow out of it after a few days. Kind of, that was all the explanation we had when we got discharged after five days in special care. Like, oh my goodness, were you discharged to go home or discharged to the maternity ward? Oh no, to, so go, to go home. home. So I've been discharged already. Yeah, because they 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 asked me a few times. So have you like you haven't even taken Panadol? And I was like, um, no. And they were like. Uh, we have to send you home. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we've got like you're not even taking Panadol. We can't keep you here. <laughs> mm -hmm. So they sent me home. I had been sent home. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to come into the hospital and visit. But um, yeah, so sent sent us home. But he didn't put on weight. He never learned to feed. Um, there's a whole bunch of things, and it was actually again the club feet. It was these club feet physio who could see because she was seeing him every seven days that he wasn't growing he wasn't putting on weight and I was telling her how much trouble I was having feeding him 
how many, like I'd got a lactation consultant mm. or whatever. So we had a lactation consultant, a dietitian, a speech therapist, and at this point nobody's like... And the speech therapist and the dietitian were the physiotherapist's mates from work. Like they had, she's like, I told them I'd buy them coffee if they came down to your ultrasound just to meet Matthew. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, okay, right. So he needs this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And, you know, it kind of all grew from there, but still nothing. We had no idea. We just had no clue that Mm. there was something wrong. Um, Did you suspect something was, or were you trusting? I was oblivious. Mm. I'd never seen a sick kid before Mm -hmm. totally oblivious and everyone's telling you it's fine yeah well they no one was telling me that it wasn't Mm, yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) and um I don't know when you're like you got a a newborn it's like a fog and my oldest didn't took like nine weeks to figure out how to feed you know Mm -hmm. like I was just in a cloud of you know what a newbornness anyway like Mm. some babies if they're not feeding properly, they're not going to put on weight. So, like, you know, like yeah. it was kind of wasn't like anything it was extreme, to be overly concerned about. Yeah, it was it was extreme, but it was then still not completely out of, you know, context. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. What happened at that point is he actually caught um, a virus. So that was his first cold. And um, I've been at my parents in Upway, so 40, now how far is that? An hour and 15 minutes from Wallen. Been in there for dinner gave him a bottle, put him in the car, and on the way home he started to sound funny in his car seat mm. when he was breathing. And, again, I had never heard a sick child before. Mm-hmm. So we were like, oh, that's weird. Why is he doing that? Oh, no, that's weird. Got him home, you know, put Shane to bed, do all the normal things, and then I get him up at, like, you know, 1 a.m. to try and feed him, and I got, like, 30 mils into him, mm. um, which he promptly vomited up. And then kind of coughed and vomited the rest of the night a little bit. And it wasn't until Shane was up in the morning, we were all up in the morning, it's a Sunday morning, um, and I realised that he didn't wake up to ask for a feed, like he just hadn't. And I was like, well, I don't know, he seems all right. Then we, like, shower and get dressed or whatever, and I say to Luke, okay, look, we'll just take him to Kilmore, it's 10 minutes away, and then if it's I'm being paranoid newborn mum, it's 10 minutes away and I don't have to, like, you know, mm-hmm. we'll just, they'll just send us home and it'll be fine. But by the time we got there, he'd got really quiet. Like he'd been sleeping most of that time anyway. But I took him into ED and I held, by the time I knew, I must have known, right, because at this point I'm really emotional. I kind of go, oh, he sounds funny. And the nurse is like, oh, she like screams into the ED, this baby is grunting. And I didn't know what that means. Mm. The entire hospital descended, like the anaesthetics department, the like everybody. I mean, it's a weekend in a tiny hospital, but <laughs> still, still. the whole hospital descended. They called Micah paramedics. By the time Luke, Luke decided to drop Shane off at a friend's house 10 minutes away, by the time he was like finding a car park, I said they're talking about a helicopter. Oh, wow. And they're talking to the Royal Children's Hospital. And they like cut off his clothes and put, IVs in both his arms and he was ventilated wow. um, in the ED at, well, in the urgent care department in Kilmore. And at this point, I, we still have no idea mm. that there's actually something wrong. Mm. And obviously in that, your brain, like, there's not a lot of thinking you no. can do and not a lot of big picture 
that you can think about under those circumstances. So it wasn't, I reckon it wasn't until six months later when somebody went, another nurse said to me, oh, it's okay. Um, most kids grow out of this kind of thing by about 12 months old. So at this point, he's six months old. He's spent, like he spent two and a half weeks on a ventilator and he failed extubation twice. So they thought he should be able to breathe on his own and he couldn't. Mm. Um, and that never happens to them kind of thing. Like the team who deal with that all the time, they're like, yeah, that's odd. That doesn't, like we don't extubate a child until we know that we think they can mm. breathe kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um but, yeah, it wasn't until, yeah, six months that I was like, the nurse said to me, oh, you know, they grow out of it. And I was like, that, no, nah, I don't believe that, not anymore. That's mm. ridiculous. Can't be this bad. And they just grow out of it. Like, are you mm. crazy? And that was the point where I kind of started to step back and look and go, what is happening here? Um, so that was like the start of our, where we realised we were on the special needs journey because mm. before that everything was just a fog and, crazy mm. and you know the odd random nurse would be like oh you know it'll be fine you'll just grow out of it like literally the amount of times we heard that wow. <laughs> was insane yeah so yeah that's how we kind of got to that point where we went okay all right this is what we got on and that went for me straight into the shock that I was supposed to care for this child who's you know airway collapsed at random moments mm. and um you know, he's not sick, he doesn't need an ICU anymore, so you can take him home. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, how? Mm. That is so scary, even just, even if they were fine, like having that lack of clarity and taking your child home is just, uh, is mind-boggling. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. So where did, so after the, the, I guess you said it was the first 12 months of this like weird back and forth, there was these things happening, but no clarity, no one really knew what happened. Where did you end up finding answers to what was actually happening? Um, we didn't for a long time. So Matthew actually got diagnosed as one of th- two in the world with his condition at four and a half years old. Wow. Wow. And when you're one of two in the world, that means that they know absolutely nothing nothing Mm. about the condition. Genetic science has come a really, really long way since even Matthew was born. Um, And so they can test for things, but they don't know what they are. Mm. They don't know what they mean. Um, And that's just a matter of time and they continue to do what they're doing and more and more of that will sort itself out. Mm. But um, now I think... Uh, I think there's probably about five cases diagnosed. Um, another mum just reached out to me like in the last two weeks and said, oh, I've got a four-year-old who was diagnosed with this and I was told he was the third in the world. And I was like, well, that's not possible. Mm. <laughs> oh, wow. Because there were wow. already three and you're talking about one and the places you're telling me the other cases are in are different to the ones I got told about. So there's got to be at least five of them. Goodness me. So... Um, yeah, that's the stages it in. But as for answers, like that didn't that's not an answer. You have a, no. a name of a condition. It's called HDAC2, a genetic abnormality called HDAC2, um, which is not an answer. It doesn't tell you anything. Mm. Um but what happened after he had a diagnosis is the third child got diagnosed with it at 12 weeks old. And they had an MRI. Maddie had had an MRI when he was like the six months old Mm because they thought 
after that first admission where he's on the ventilator that he maybe had a brain injury. Mm-hmm. But that mm-hmm. MRI ruled a brain injury, like a stroke or something more typical that you see in the community. Um, but that MRI ruled it out. Anyway, so this kid at 12 weeks old had had her MRI and they could see changes on that baby's brain at 12 weeks old when he got diagnosed with the same condition as Matthew. So we had talked about doing an MRI. So we did it when he was six months. We had said, okay, that didn't show anything, but we'll do another one when he's three mm-hmm. because that's when your brain is supposed to be fully developed. Mm-hmm. So we'll be able to tell then because when you're six months old, your brain isn't fully developed, so you can't necessarily yeah. see any of those changes. Yeah. So we will do it again at three. But by the time Matthew was three, we knew he was a very high anaesthetic risk. Anaesthetic would make his brain not remember that he had to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, or his airway would collapse down on itself and he wouldn't be able to get air in and out, different things like that. Mm. Um so he was such a high risk and we were new, we just had so many unanswered questions that we knew we kind of had decided when he was three that there was no point doing it. It wasn't going to tell us anything we could use yeah. because we knew that he was so unique and rare because of everything else and it was too risky so we decided not to do it. So it wasn't until after this other kid got diagnosed that and we still had no answers but at this point at four and a half, Maddie had started to have his his gut start started slowing down. It was causing him an enormous amount of pain. He was on like oxycodone, um, oxycontin, sorry, like multiple times a day. He was on um, two other nerve painkillers mm. um, at this point because his gut had started doing weird things and that had got worse and worse and we'd have to give more and more painkillers to keep that under control because we couldn't figure out what was causing it so mm. we couldn't fix it. Mm. So when these other kids got this thing, I say to Matthew's paediatrician, who I loved, he was just the doctor who was on ward service when Maddie got admitted that first time when mm. he got flown in by the helicopter. Like we just got lucky. He had him his whole life. He came wow. in, came in after he passed away. Um, and I said to him, this kid had changes on his brain. Do you think it's time we had another look at his brain? And they, he went, okay. Like he'd been against the idea to that point that other kid had changes and he was like, okay, all right let's think about doing that. And they sent the anesthesiologist down to me to discuss it with me Mm -hmm. um, because I wouldn't let him go into surgery without talking to me because I know they don't read the notes. They don't read Mm -hmm. enough. They don't read enough to understand. They're like, oh, yeah, I heard he's high, you know, high risk or high needs or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but do you know what that means? Mm. (laughs) Do you know what happens? Um, And or the person who reads the notes and preps for surgery is not the same person who actually is in the surgery. So... Anyway, they sent her down and she said to me, she talked to me for a while, she goes, wait a minute, why are we doing this? And I said, here's the thing. She goes, it sounds very risky. Why are we doing this? And I said, because Maddie's quality of life is so poor at this point that if there is any chance that we can get an answer out of this, it's worth doing because either way the result is probably the same. And she was like, well, that's horrific, but I understand. Yep, Mm. I'll get him set up for surgery. Um, And we got him. He managed to, like, go back to ICU between that conversation and actually having the MRI, you know, like, and then he, so 
it, kids have to be well. You know, you're like you go into surgery mm-hmm. or have you had a temperature and you have a runny nose, whatever. Oh, you can't have surgery. Mm-hmm. Matthew couldn't wait for that moment because it never happened. Mm. So they would take him into surgery knowing he has X amount of risk factors and they'd just do it anyway. Oh, he was just recently admitted for hospital. You have to wait a month to go, nah, you can't wait a month because in six Mm. more days he'll be back again. Mm. Um, So, and you had to have team that understood that too. Yeah. Like, oh, but these are the rules. Yeah, well, rules don't apply. Don't apply, (laughs) yeah. Mm. Um, So they did the MRI and then there was a lot of avoiding me like 10 days um we haven't got the report yet we're just talking to this person oh yeah yep we'll uh organize a team meeting we'll backwards and forwards backwards and forwards and and he went back into hospital again during that point so we end up in ICU with a collapsed lung and his gut had stopped working when they go okay oh, he doesn't look as bad this time. Like, this is me. I was in total agreement with this. He doesn't look as bad as he did last time, even though we're in, hosp- in ICU with a collapsed lung or whatever else. Now, tell me about the MRI. What's the deal with the MRI? Like, mm. okay, I think he might be fine this week. Tell me what's going on. And they called a team meeting and the ne- they called the neurologist there. We had a paediatrician and we had Matthew's palliative care doctor. And she had been part of his team since he was one. Wow. Um... And she said the neurologist was on a lunch break, so she'd come up to have this meeting with us during our lunch break. Wow. She'd gone, okay, so we got the results back and Matthew has lots of abnormalities on his brain. And one of those, so parts of his brain are more got more lines in it than it should and other parts of his brain are smoother than it should. But also we can see that his brain stem hasn't developed since 22 weeks gestation. Oh, my word. Um, so what's been happening, which is consistent with what we can see, is that he's still growing and he had grown a lot in that last 12 months, like six inches or something. He's outgrowing his brainstem. A 22-week mm. brainstem can't support mm. a growing body. And that's things like knowing how to breathe unconsciously, your heart rate, your body temperature and your gut. And those were the things that he had had more and more and more trouble with Mm. that we could not explain. Mm. So when they said this is consistent with what we can see, the rest of that sentence was, and there's nothing we can do about it. Mm. So he was already in palliative care, but that was the first time we ever actually had answers. Like we knew exactly what was happening. Mm -hmm. We knew his gut wasn't working because you need your brainstem for that. We knew his temperature was all over the place because you need your brainstem for that. We had had trouble breathing since the minute he was born, Mm. (laughs) like, and that had only got worse. So that's your brainstem. So all of those things were like, ah. So as much as that was horrific and devastating there was a sense of relief because it was the first time we Mm. ever got clear answers about what was happening wow yeah thank you for sharing all of that do that very beautifully and honoring throughout Matthew's medical challenges how did you find going to God for what you needed and it probably would be up and down depending on what was happening too Mm. but what was that journey like um I'd say up and down is probably pretty accurate but um, I'm a, 
I'm uh, very intellectual. So, you know, once I decided that God was real and I believed in him, I like that's a, re- that's a fact to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and circumstances don't change facts. Yeah. Mm. And God had never left me or um, not support, not been there for me or whatever before, so why would he now? Why would that change now? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people ask the questions, you know, like, oh, why me, why Matthew, whatever, and, like, that crossed my mind. But to me, there's a whole world of, like, how many billion of people out there and God is so much bigger and so much kind of removed from time and space that there's a whole big picture that I don't understand that he does. Mm. And part of me is totally okay with that. And I don't have to be, that doesn't mean I, I'm not allowed to be sad or angry or all of those mm-hmm. things all at once. Mm-hmm. But it means that I trust God to do his job. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. God is God regardless of what's going on in my life and there will be a big picture answer to this and why it played out the way it did. Um, so asking why is like some questions don't have answers and, um, yeah, that's like, so I don't, I don't like to dive into the whole idea of, you know, why do good things happen to bad people and whatever, Mm -hmm. because basically there are questions, there are questions that don't have answers. We're not Mm. supposed to know. Yeah. Um, it's beyond our capacity. Yeah. Yes. I guess God is way bigger and got, you know, he has the full picture and I don't. So like even if he could answer me, I probably couldn't, still couldn't comprehend it kind of thing, you know. Exactly, so yeah. I guess that's um that's mostly how I deal with it. I can still be I can still like part of me, like when Maddie passed away, some people would say it and I, it's a bit it is grating when people say it too, like, oh, you know, he's better off. He's not in pain anymore mm. because it's very, you don't even understand what you're saying. Yeah. Like you mm. can't just say that. Do I believe that? Yeah, actually I do. But I don't like, I never say that. No, like, yeah. And it doesn't serve any purpose to, for yeah. someone else to say that to you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like, I don't. And some people, I, the year after Maddie passed away, I went to six funerals of children. Wow. Um, one before he died and, yeah, four or five after. And um, often I would see those mums saying, I would give anything to have him back for a second. And I honestly can't wish that. Mm-hmm. I can't. He was in so much pain, so much pain. So... Um, I don't know, like knowing what I believe about God and heaven and, you know, what that's like to not be in your physical body anymore, I can't wish that for a second. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I can miss him and I can be really sad and really emotional and like yesterday was a day where I cried, I guess a large portion of the day considering, you know, what else what else is going on in the world, you know, like um mm-hmm. it, but 
that doesn't mean I wish him back. Um, and that's very personal and very individual. Mm-hmm. Like mm. that's totally, you know, lots of mums would not be able to comprehend that, you know, even having gone through the same journey. Mm. Mm-hmm. God has really given you a gift of faith and trust yeah. um, in his goodness and his sovereignty, really, mm. and you just sharing that. Um, as you said, doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but the fact that he's allowed you to be able to think that way really, I believe, is a gift. Mm. Yeah, because it's, it's, uh, uh, it's comforting to not... Like it not be to another place, you just have questions. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there are enough questions in the world. Mm. Like, and for another place that things haven't changed. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So to steer away a little bit from what we've been talking about, but not at all at the same time, <laughs> you've recently launched a support group for mums of special needs children, and we would love for you to tell us. Um, about that and maybe potentially what support you had during Matthew's life that led you to doing something like this and how it's been going. Yeah. Yep. So um, I don't even know what it was. Maybe October. (laughs) I launched a group on Facebook called Self-Care for Parents with Special Needs Families Community. Mm. Um, because I'm really creative with names, so I just <laughs> it's descriptive. It is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I had a page before that, which I just shared memes that special needs families relate to. Um, but I really went into the story of self care because I found that most special needs groups focused on their children's needs Mm. and Mm. what I found in my journey is that there was tons of support for the child but where was the support for the parents Mm. Mm -hmm. and I don't know whether the people offering their support would see that but that's how I saw it Mm -hmm. um I came to a place when Maddie was about two, two and a half, where I was falling asleep at the wheel, um, driving backwards and forwards from the hospital. Mm. And at that point I had Shane and Mackenzie with me as well. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't just me. (laughs) And so that started me down a journey where I started taking a nutritional supplement because I was exhausted. And um, over the coming weeks, it's like my world started opening up again Mm. because my quality of sleep improved, um, my ability to cope improved, my um, uh, nervous energy and stuff that kept me awake at night Mm. started to subside because obviously at that point I'd been, since Maddie was 20 weeks old, (laughs) like 20 weeks before it was born, you know, I had been under that strain and that mm. emotional roller coaster. So by the time Mackenzie's six months old, Maddie's two and a half, it's already like, what, three years of this, right? Oh, wow. Um, so I was obviously really run down and really affected by that. But what I saw when I started to feel better, I started to look around and realise, because I'd felt really isolated, like nobody could understand mm. what it was like being a parent to Matthew and trying to juggle life, trying to do life. And um, especially because he was really rare, like we had no mm-hmm. answers, no like whatever. So it was like 
I'm really alone. Like there's no one else. Like, mm. um, and, um, you know, various different things. But then as I started to feel better, I started to look around me and realize I've been in a hospital with literally hundreds of mums who are exactly like me yeah. for like three years, you know, like, but I, before that I had no capacity to see that Yeah, and realized that I wasn't alone and that all those other mums were feeling as rubbish and isolated and whatever as I were, mm. I was. And also it's more than just um, feeling run down and whatever. It's like marriage breakdowns. Mm-hmm. It's um, mums having horrendous issues with their weights, being diagnosed with autoimmune conditions that doctors can't explain, which mm. basically ends up resulting in, well, you can't be this stressed for that long and it have no effect on your body um, and all of those things. And I started to go, well, hold up. Who's doing something about this? Mm. Like mm. who's saying to these mums, because I had started to feel better, who's saying to these mums, actually there are a few things you can put in place they're not going to fix anything. It's not going to change your circumstances. But if you feel better and you're coping better, then that can change the entire trajectory of what happens next. So significant. Mm. So I had kind of started working in that direction from that time, um, well, I guess nearly four years ago, um, and that meant just connecting with lots and lots of mums. Mm-hmm. Um, any mum that came across my path who was vague, whose kid didn't just have a broken arm, no offence to all the mums whose kids just have broken arms, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'd be like, sorry. <laughs> There's another support group from you, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, anybody that I came across, I would, yeah, reach out, I would be connecting with them, I'd be like, hey, there's a whole group of us out there. I connected really heavily with, and you asked what supports I had, um, uh, an association called Syndromes Without a Name. So they support really rare conditions. So Maddie, even though he had HDAC2, it's not like Down syndrome because Down Mm -hmm. syndrome is actually trinomy 21. Mm -hmm. Like, so it has a name, Down syndrome, you know, like, Whereas yep. HEAC2 is just a bunch of letters and numbers that mean yeah. nothing. Yeah. Um, and also kids who don't even have the letters and numbers that mean nothing, they have absolutely nothing. Hmm. So there's a whole community of those people. And um, over Maddie's life and just after he passed away, I became the foremost recruiter for new members of Syndromes Without a Name because wow. I could, I was connecting with these mums and mm. if I dug into their, you know, history and whatever and discovered that they had no idea what was wrong with, their child I'd be like oh I know somewhere you can plug in for that yeah. I was also supported by um very special kids mm-hmm. which is for children with life-limiting illnesses mm-hmm. and some kids do get um discharged from very special kids when they turn 18 like so you don't you know you don't have to be a point where it's 100% guaranteed that you know this is life-limiting mm-hmm. um to get support from them but what I've found really invaluable about their support is the level of care all the kids in there needed, which meant that their parents were people I could really relate to mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we were all providing that similar level of care. Mm-hmm. 
and they've got like mental health support workers for parents. They call them family key workers or whatever they call them, but they've got mental health background and stuff like that. So they help support in that way. Um, and we, yeah, those were the two main ones for us because again, there was no, you know, cancer kids foundation or heart kids foundation or, mm-hmm. you know, mm. whatever it's called. There was none of that. So, yeah. um, syndromes without a name or swan was the closest we got to that kind of support um and then yeah i just built from there knowing i always say with about swan it's the it's the phrase well i don't actually know that binds us together (laughs) (laughs) Mm. how have you been finding that um community growing the one self-care for parents how's that going um, it was awesome. We launched and we got 120 members the first week. Wow. So it's been really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really delicate balance for me to be the person saying, hey, have you thought about doing two minutes of exercise? Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. to a mum who's like, wait a minute, I'm falling asleep at the wheel. Like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you want me to do exercise? So it's a very delicate balance. Yeah. And I think... Um, part of my role is just to be a voice who suggests that there's a different way. Um, enough times that someone who's been listening for a while suddenly goes, I actually think that's what I need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that going in this direction is what I need. Yeah. So there's the support element and there's the I understand element. And I ran um, a class uh, in November, you know, Christmas holidays and whatever between. But so back in November, I ran a class called... Um, recognizing high functioning anxiety in special Mm. needs mums um and what you can do about it and that's a really interesting story and I had heaps of people reach out to me even um not special needs parents were like can I come (laughs) to your class too like um because high people with high functioning anxiety often don't know they've got it yeah and I was one of those people Mm. um but what I was able to do was use my high functioning anxiety in a good direction after that point where things started to turn around for me. Mm -hmm. So that's what my class is about. Like, here's what it might look like if you have high functioning anxiety, because I didn't even know it was called that until after Maddie was gone, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, but this is what I did with that. So I'm not saying, we f- I fixed it. I'm not saying it went away. I'm not saying I cured it or treated it. Like I'm not, that's not what we're discussing here. Yeah. But this is what I did with those feelings mm-hmm. and those things that happened to me to make it something that was actually useful to me. Mm-hmm. And um, that went that went really really well. Um, I think my next class will be on um, reducing the mental load mm-hmm. um, because as mums, regardless of what your kids are, we often take on all of the responsibility mm-hmm. of everything yep. going on around us. Yep. And as a special needs mum, once you've taken on that responsibility, it's like a million times harder to yeah. hand it off to someone else or put it down because mm. it doesn't actually need doing kind of. So I think I'm going to dive into some of that stuff wow. um, next. So, yeah, so part of it's an education process of what if there was a different way to kind of exist even though you can't change your circumstances Mm. Um, because if we change the way we think about our circumstances and how we approach them, then the outcomes can be different. Mm -hmm. And even if that outcome is just how we think and feel about 
our circumstances are different, that can change everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. What a gift to these other mums. How does someone find your group and get in touch with you? Um, easiest way to be look me up on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, so Abigail Rose Burton. And there's a link to my community on my, you know, my bio mm-hmm. right there at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, once a week I do, I do a live. Most of them are on special needs stuff at the moment. Um, I'm also uh, doing a bit of life coaching, which I have started getting qualified in since I launched the group mm-hmm. um, and working kind of the health and fitness space as well because um there's a lot of need for that even outside of the actual specific special needs um, mm-hmm. niche. And I'm finding it's very inspirational for special needs mums to watch me do that. Mm. Like there is a whole life out there. You're still a whole person. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a way to function and Ultimately, my main message is taking care of yourself is the best possible thing you could do for your family, for your, you know, for your spouse, for your sick child, for your well child, for anybody you're serving in the community. Taking care of yourself first just means you actually give better. Mm. So if we can't take our focus off giving first, then at least know that you'll do it better if you take care of yourself first. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing mm. the so vulnerably and the rawness of it all, but also um, what you're doing now and how God has been with you through it all. Thank mm. you. Thank you. We have four questions that we love to end the podcast with. Um, okay. And the first one is um, looking back at your motherhood journey, which is obviously very unique to most mm. people's <laughs> journeys, what advice would you give yourself? can't fix other people's feelings mm. it's not your responsibility that's a good when one. did you realize that in your journey oh like last week <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> what a big one though yeah it is good because i feel like especially as christian women mm-hmm. like everything about how we are groomed and raised and whatever is like take care of other people mm-hmm but there's no point taking responsibility for something you actually have no control over, no Mm -hmm. influence over. It just ties you up in knots and makes no effect whatsoever on the other person. Yeah. Doesn't mean that we can't be sympathetic and supportive and whatever else, but we take, like, like I said before, we take so much responsibility about what goes on in our lives as mums that, you know, other people's feelings is just another thing on the list. Yeah. But, Mm -hmm. It's like the one we have least influence on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No responsibility for. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely feel that one. Definitely feel it. Uh, The second question is, how have you been connecting to God in this last year and in this current season of motherhood? And we obviously know, as we mentioned earlier, that COVID has been weird in terms of the church community. But how have you been connecting to God? Um, It's been more like... um, Again, last week I learned <laughs> um, that it's been like a really, so the last two years since Maddie passed away um, have been like a process of firstly protecting myself and my time mm-hmm. to give myself the space to figure out a few things. Yeah. And I didn't know that I desperately needed that because I didn't, even though I did a really good job and I coped really well while Maddie was around, 
it wasn't really enough to offset the amount of trauma and stress and whatever that went on. Mm. And if you'd asked me that two years ago, I would have been like, that's ridiculous. I did a great job. The two things are not mutually exclusive. No. no. <laughs> um, so I gave myself space and then in that space, and I have had to fight to protect it because we like to fill up our time and whatever. Yeah. And in that time I've been discovering that there's like a whole layer of me underneath the whole, all the trauma and whatever kids stuff that, um, that's like discovering more of who God created me to be. Mm. Like it's how he designed me right down inside my core and I'm only just finding out about it, but he knew it was there all along. Like mm-hmm. he created me that way and kind of unearthing that stuff. And like you said, that's not been in a church setting. Um, it has been with mostly other really strong Christian women, mm-hmm. but not exclusively so. Um, and, yeah, so it's just been a bit of unearthing, but, learning how to protect my space was like the first thing. And it was something I subconsciously did when Maddie, you know, a month after Maddie was gone and my husband was going back to work and people started saying to me, well, you could volunteer in class to help with your, you know, your kids class, or you could get to know all the school mums after at school pickup now that you've got time. And I was like, no, (laughs) no, no, no. Oh, thank goodness. You just made that decision. I'm so glad. Yeah. Goodness me. I was like, I can't, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the third question is, what are you currently reading or listening to at the moment? I'm actually in a coaching program um, from someone I met at a Christian business conference mm-hmm. who is um, runs a million-dollar makeup brand mm. um, that she built from scratch, and I'm actually, she's teaching social media strategy and stuff like that, and that doesn't sound like that's really, sounds really business-focused, Part of it is, but most of the work is on me Personal. and how I yep. see the world and how I do things. So in the time I've been doing that, which is actually since about August mm-hmm. um, this year, so I've done various things before, but this particular one, I haven't had time to do anything else <laughs> because when I'm not yeah. doing that, I need to be, like, thinking about what is going on in my head, like, mm. you know, like, <laughs> and, yeah, just kind of simplifying things. And actually for me, COVID was like the best timing ever because <laughs> I didn't have to run the kids around and mm-hmm. I didn't have to be at meetings and I didn't have to go places. I could just do my classes, my coaching and focus on this stuff and this work on me. Mm. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, so I'm not specifically reading or listening to anything, but I am in coaching. Yes. You are <laughs> very much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, a, just a different type of reading and listening. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the last question is, what is one of your favourite Bible verses? Over my life, the one that has come up the most has been Jeremiah 29, 11. Mm-hmm. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to give, you know, plans for good and not for evil, mm-hmm. um, plans to give you a future and a hope. Um, and I think someone gave me that verse the first time when I was at 13 or 14, when I was getting baptized as a, you know, young adult or whatever, making that decision for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has continued to come up over my entire life. Um, I guess when kind of anxious thoughts and whatever of the future and whatever kind of run your brain. Yep. If you're a, someone who might have symptoms of high functioning anxiety, <laughs> yep. um, 
it seems to just kind of appear and be like, I got this. It's going to be good. I promise. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. That's for sure. It's a great scripture to end with, especially mm. considering your story and mm-hmm. your journey. Well, it's been an honour to chat with you today. As we said before, thank you yep. for sharing with us. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We hope that if someone wants to get in touch with you, they'll be able to find you and we'll share yep. links um, to your group as well when the episode comes out. But thank you again for sharing and for giving us all a reminder to Keep trusting in God. Keep following him no matter our circumstances or what's going on around us. He is faithful and he is good all the time. So thank you. And until next time, this is Our Village. Thank you for joining us today on This Is Our Village. If you enjoyed the podcast, please remember to like, subscribe and review. And please share it with any mums that you think might benefit from this community. This is our village, but we'd love it to be your village too.